about three weeks ago, Nathan asked me what I was going to preach on, and I said, well, Psalms 138. And i got to tell you, ever since last Sunday, only because today's right around the corner, I have really been missing Nathan. <laughs> I was really missing him Friday and yesterday, but the Bible says don't be anxious about anything. But it was close to being anxious. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come together as your children this morning. Lord, to give you praise, thank you for the music this morning and the opportunity to sing praises to you. Lord, that is our task, that is our job, that is the desire of our hearts. For you are holy and worthy, Lord, of our worship. So, Lord, thank you for the praise team. Lord, I ask your blessing on them and be with us now, Lord, as we consider your word, this psalm, and your lordship over our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. In his book, <clears throat> My American Journey, Colin Powell speaks about being stationed at Fort Leavenworth to attend the U.S. Army Command and General Staff College. That always happens to military officers. They go off when they make 06, full colonel, and now they're being prepared for greater responsibility and greater command. Colin Powell was sent there to go to school along with his wife, Alma, and they attended church <clears throat> on the post. Now, Fort Leavenworth has been around a long, long, long time. And so you can imagine um, everywhere you turned, there would be a reminder of some history of the U.S. Army uh, as it served in Leavenworth and other places. And in the memorial chapel, there was a foyer, and in the foyer, there were all these plaques on the wall. And <clears throat> there was a plaque there that had the name of Lieutenant Colonel George Custer, along with his brother, Captain Thomas W. Custer. You might remember them from the Little Bighorn, the battle. And uh, this plaque was there to memorialize uh, that historic battle. Another plaque there to Captain John Anthony Rucker, Rucker uh, Army uh, Base is named after him, 6th Cavalry. Rucker lost his life while trying to save another soldier's life from drowning. And so the story goes, there was a mother in the chapel foyer and a little boy reading these plaques. And he said, Mom, who are these men and women? And she replied, and she said, Well, they are soldiers that lost their lives in service. And the little boy, after about 10 seconds, looked at his mom and said, Was it the 8.30 or the 11? <laughs> Hopefully we won't have to put your name on a memorial plaque this morning. And that you'll stay with us this morning. So Psalms 138, if you would stand with me, let's read his word. Psalms 138, beginning in verse 1, and there are eight. 
I give thanks to you, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth. And they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Please be seated. From my study, I have learned that this is one of the last eight psalms that David wrote. David was 30 years old when he became king and ruled for 40 years. This morning, I want you, if you will, to consider verse 1 and 8. That's where the focus of my attention is going to be this morning. And so that's the takeaway, if you would. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. Twenty-eight times this term is used in Scripture. We find it in Deuteronomy, 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the book of Mark. In the book of Mark, chapter 12, verse 33, Mark says, All the heart, all the understanding, all the strength. And in Jeremiah, Jeremiah says, I will give them a heart. Of course, quoting the Lord. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. For they shall return to me with their what? Whole heart. Nancy and I were talking about the second part of the first verse. Before the gods I sing. Your praise, just mentioning angels or princes or idols, but they're ready to worship the true God alone. But whole heart is significant this morning in this psalm and in this message. And so I would ask you to consider, what does that mean? What did it mean for David, but what does it mean for you? I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Some have said that it is defined by the intensity of the heart and in the intelligence of the mind. But how do we worship 
And when we worship, do we worship with our whole heart? Verse 2. I bow down to your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. God had provided for David. We find this in 2 Samuel chapter 7. He provided him a home, a house, indeed a palace. He'd established his throne. He'd established the nation of Israel. They enjoyed peace on every side. David looked down from the palace heights and saw the tabernacle of the Lord. A tent. He decided to build God a temple and he shared his intentions with Nathan. And he said to Nathan, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar. But the ark of God dwells within a tent with curtains. Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your mind, for the Lord is with you. Nathan was a little hasty, and David was a little proud, perhaps. But we find later in the text that God speaks to Nathan that night, and he said to him, Go and tell David, my servant. And David spoke like a king, but in this passage, God reminds him, you're my servant. Sometimes in our accomplishments, we speak way too much with pride and forget that we serve a mighty God, an awesome God. But God says to Nathan, go and say to him, Tell David, my servant, are you the one who should build me a house to dwell in? David would do for God because of what God had done for him, forgetting that God had more to do with David. Ever get to the place where you think you've arrived? God doesn't have any work left to do in you, for you. Is it possible that our human plans can become a distraction to what God wants to do in us? Where did God live before Moses? before Abraham, before Noah, or even before Adam. 
Stephen answers a question for us in Acts chapter 7, verses 44 through 50. Stephen says, Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, heaven, heaven is my throne. And the earth is my footstool. What kind of house would you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? Sometimes we have a very small view of this great God we serve. Verse 3. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. How is your prayer life, church? Is God the first person you seek? Or is he the God of last resort? When all of your efforts have been exhausted, along with your resources. Verse 4, all the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Verse 6, for though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Matthew Henry says that God respects and has respect for the humble sinner. But the proud and the unbelieving will be banished from him. While his throne is in heaven, distance is no protection from his eyes. Verse 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. This passage reminded me of something he says in Psalms 139, verses 7 through 12. Amazing passage. He says, where shall I go? From your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Verse 8. 
If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. And then verse 8. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me, David says. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. This verse has consumed my my thoughts for about three weeks now. Was it was David speaking of the Davidic covenant? Perhaps. Was David speaking about his relationship with God? Yes, I think. And the question then is, does this verse apply to me and to you? And I think the answer is yes. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. That begs the question, what is God's purpose then for me? Barnes makes this comment, and it has to do with the salvation of us all. And this is what he says, the Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. He will complete what he has begun. He will not begin to interpose in my behalf and then abandon me. He will not promise to save me and then fail to fulfill his promise. He will not encourage me and then cast me off. He will complete what he begins. He will not convert a soul and then leave it to perish. And I love this part. Grace will complete what grace begins. Amen? Amen. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And that's a future thing. But what about the now? And that leads to the question, what is God's will for my life? I see purpose and will here working together. And I believe that this is probably one of the most asked questions, both in and outside of the church, for those that believe in God or believe that there is a God. What is God's will for my life? Well, God answers that question in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. 
Now he puts this in context, and so we need to read the rest of it. That you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all things. And we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, ever whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gave his Holy Spirit to you. David wanted to build a temple for God. Perhaps his desire came from appreciating all that God had done for him. Perhaps David thought too much of his position as king. Because as 2 Samuel begins to unfold from chapter 7 into chapter 8 and following, David's life falls apart. You remember his adulterous relationship and so on. Perhaps David thought he had arrived and God had accomplished all that he intended in his life. But there was so much more work for God to do in David's life. This was probably in the early days of his kingship. Can we be too busy with the external doing that we neglect what God desires to do in our character? Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, work out your salvation, work out your sanctification with fear and with trembling. So I asked this question this morning, how do we know, how can we know that sanctification is at work in us? The answer to the question is because there is fruit. Nothing that you produce, but what the Holy Spirit produces in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Some of us might think, that this fruit is made manifest in our lives. But interestingly enough, what I have read says that it all comes together. You don't get one fruit and not another. They come together. Psalms 119 verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rule. Not only does the word of God inform us of his will, but as a light, it lights our path. It shows us how to follow the right and to avoid the wrong. The lamp 
that is spoken of here, God's word, is fed with the oil of the Spirit. The allusion is to the lamps and the torches that were carried at night by the eastern caravans. If this fruit of the Spirit is going to be made manifest in our lives, we have to consume the Word of God and be students of His Word. So the question this morning is, are we spending enough time in His Word? And if we can't see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, then the answer must be no, we're not. So I encourage you this morning to reconsider how significant the scriptures are to your life. David says in verse 8, I know that the Lord will accomplish all that he has for me. God wants to accomplish much in our lives. He has a plan for our lives. It's our righteousness. Scripture speaks of that. But are we righteous? Yes, we possess the righteousness of Christ with regard to the requirements for heaven. But what about our righteous living now? Can people see the fruit of the Spirit active and working in our lives? Are we worshiping God with our whole hearts? So if the answer to the question is yes, the fruit of the Spirit is manifest in your life and you're spending time in Scripture, praise God. Keep working. If not, make the word of God a priority, a new priority in your life. Not just what you get in Sunday school or at Awana or growth groups. Make it a part of who you are. And let God use it to bear fruit in your life. Not church fruit but fruit in your character and fruit in who you are. That's what the world needs to see. As I was watching those pictures, I was reminded of the verse that says, blessed are those who bring good news. Amen. But the truth is, God will bring good news in your life. You may not be called to be a missionary or a pastor or an elder or a deacon or whatever office there are, there is in the church, but God has a plan for your life and it's your sanctification and it begins with taking in his word and making it a part of who you are. So church, I encourage you, commit yourselves afresh and anew 
to spending time in God's Word. With the church, but certainly at home. When you lay your head down, perhaps, and during the day, and when you arise in the morning, spend some time with our God. He has a plan for your life, and he wants to use you and make you righteous. One other verse that I wrote down here that I want to speak about is Job 1.8. Now, when we think about the heroes of Scripture, Job doesn't jump to the top of my list. There are lots of people I think of. When I think of Job and all that Job had gone through in his life, he's just not at the top of my list. But as I was preparing for this, I was reminded of what God said about Job. So in verse 8 he says, And God is having a conversation with Satan. And the text says that Satan is roaming to and fro, not necessarily to devour, but that's certainly his intent. And God says to him, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth. That's a pretty broad category and a very long list of people. There is none like him. Wouldn't it be awesome if God could say that about you? me a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns from evil What an amazing idea. But I don't think in all of this that God is stingy with his righteousness. I think God sees the potential for Job in all of us. So what's holding us back, church? What's holding us back? Perhaps it's intent. Perhaps we're too satisfied with the lives that we have now. But God has so much more for us. So my prayer is this morning that you will consider what it means to worship God with your whole heart. And embrace the righteousness that he wants for you as your heavenly father. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you have preserved it. And from it, Lord, we learn these lessons 
Lord, forgive us that we learn them over and over and over again. But Lord, I pray that you would work anew in my life as I endeavor to read your word, Lord, for the sake of being able to worship you, Lord, with my whole heart. And Lord, I thank you that you will complete all that you have planned for my life as your child. And Lord, that you will not abandon me as your child. But Lord, I pray that in the now, I will commit myself to you and we will do the same, Lord, as your children, that we might worship you, Lord, afresh and anew. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.